Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College online journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Greetings and welcome to the War Room Podcast. I'm Colonel Chris Wyatt, Director of African Studies here at the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And today's podcast takes a look at the upcoming South African elections in May 2019. This will be post-apartheid South Africa's sixth national election since the end of the minority rule era. If one had been making bets as recently as late 2017, we might have had a very different projection on the outcome this time around. In 2016 nationwide municipal elections, the Democratic Alliance, or DA, the largest opposition party, made significant inroads against the African National Congress, in part owing to the declining popularity and the bloom finally wearing off the rows of liberation credentials that so many ascribe to the African National Congress. In that key 2016 municipal election, the ANC lost control of three major cities. The DA retained and increased its margin in Cape Town. Winning a plurality but not majority in other cities, the DA forged coalitions with smaller parties to wrest the mayor's office and control from the ANC in Nelson Mandela Bay, Johannesburg, and Schwana. That's the municipality that includes the capital of Pretoria. I'm here in the studio today with Colonel Retired Dan Hampton from the Africa Center for Strategic Studies in Washington, D.C. Dan spent much of his career in the U.S. Army as a foreign area officer for Sub-Saharan Africa. He's an experienced Southern Africa hand with tours as a defense attache in Zimbabwe and as a senior defense official in South Africa. Thanks for being here today, Dan. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Chris. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure having you back. We had you here last year, so it's good to have you back once again. Well, you know the region well, and you've lived in two of its key states, Zimbabwe and South Africa, as well as worked in several others, including Lesotho and Swaziland, where you also had defense attache responsibilities. How important is South Africa and political stability there for the Southern Africa region? Well, it's, it's critical. I mean, as South Africa goes, so the region goes. I mean, it's an economic powerhouse, and it really drives the economy throughout much of that subregion. So as I mentioned a bit ago, 18 months ago, we saw a very different political landscape in South Africa with an increasingly unpopular President Jacob Zuma on his way out of office, service delivery protests, pervasive corruption within the ruling party, and frustration all combining with the natural outcome being a decline in popularity or trust for the ANC. The DA and the Economic Freedom Fighters, a populist leftist party, uh, both appeared on the verge of taking advantage of the ANC's distress and likely surging in voter support in 2019. But time is a funny thing, and here we are 18 months later. Things look a little different today, don't they? They do. Yeah, absolutely. So in mid-December 2017, after a bruising internal struggle for succession in which the former African Union chairperson, Nkosazana Dalemizuma, challenged the eventual winner, former trade unionist turned businessman and later politician Cyril Ramaphosa, for leadership of the ANC, and by extension the presidency of South Africa, tensions were high. Ramaphosa narrowly defeated her with a margin of 179 delegates, or less than 4% of the 4,700 ballots cast at the party conference. So under pressure to go, Zuma resigned as president in February 2018, and his deputy Ramaphosa was sworn in as South Africa's fifth modern president. Ramaphosa quickly sought to encourage foreign direct investment and confidence in South Africa's anemic economy. The opposition DA seemingly lost the plot and had a series of embarrassing internal but very public spats and missteps, the most prominent being its move to oust its own mayor, Patricia DeLille, in Cape Town. The EFF's increasingly radical expropriation and nationalization agenda, coupled with constant and often volatile rhetoric from its firebrand leader, Julius Malema, appears to have limited that party's appeal. And 24 years after the ANC first came to power, mounting pressure from the upstart EFF seemed to lead to a 180-degree reversal by the ANC, which moved to amend the Constitution to allow expropriation of land without compensation. This contentious issue is front and center in discussions about the coming election. 
In late 2018, the South African economy slid once more into recession, something it's, it's working its way out of now, but it, it fell into it once again. So here we find ourselves. Now I'll ask you, Dan, um, to pull out your crystal ball and give us your thoughts on what we're likely to see in May. Will the ANC retain a 50% share of the vote? Will the DA get its house in order and continue its 15-year climb from 9% of the electorate in 2004 to 16% in 2009 and top its best national result in 2014 at the last election when it got 23%? And what about the EFF? Will they cross the 10 or 15% threshold? So crystal ball time. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember last time you had me here, you, you had me pull out the crystal ball, and I think we got some of it right. I mean, there's some conventional wisdom and, and things that, that, that were, I won't say fairly obvious, but that were predictable, and other things that, that we got a little bit wrong. So it's been an interesting year for sure since the uh, ANC Party Congress uh, last year. As you mentioned, uh, democracy in South Africa is still fairly young. I mean, so it's, as you mentioned, uh, just uh, a handful of elections since majority rule in 94, and really, they've only had three presidents, four if you count Milante. And so you mentioned that Zuma stepped down and resigned while he was in office from the ANC chairmanship. So you could you could almost make a case that it's a trend because the same thing happened to Mbeki. So there was internal fighting within the ANC at the time from Zuma, forced uh, Mbeki to step down, and then Zuma took over. And then same thing happened again, internal fighting with the ANC, Zuma steps down, party congress, and Ramaphosa comes forward. And, and I think what's interesting about that struggle within the ANC is what played out last year, in my view, it, it's, it's two things. It was really a battle of ideology or ideologues versus pragmatist with some blending. So in your typical Venn diagram, they, they blend over. I'm not saying that people that support Ramaphosa don't have the ideology of continuing the struggle and putting the Freedom Charter foremost in their minds and trying to take care of the, uh, the, you know, the, the people in South Africa who still are not enjoying the benefits of democracy or economic growth. So there's ideology versus pragmatism, and all that's mixed with an element of self-interest. And so certainly with the uh, the Zuma camp and all the corruption scandals, so I think there's a view of keeping what they have, and those in power have access to uh, to resources. And so that's part of it as well. So that struggle played out within the ANC, and it wasn't helping their cause among the populace. And so it really allowed the opposition parties to get some inroads. And my view is I think the ANC's recovered a little bit. So I think with Ramaphosa coming in and taking over as the president and the leader of the ANC, it's brought some measure of stability and uh, calmed a little bit of the, uh, the storm, if you will, of, that was brewing against Zuma and the Gupta Gate and all the other state capture issues that were, you know, rocking the press and the media within, within South Africa. So... So looking ahead, back to your crystal ball questions, <laughs> a long way to get to your answers is, uh, what do I think is going to happen? The ANC certainly will, will maintain at least 50%. And so right now within parliament, I think they have uh, 62% of the parliamentary seats. Uh, I think it could possibly increase a little bit. So I think the, the ANC might perhaps be even a little bit stronger for a couple of reasons. Not only uh, some stability that Ramaphosa and the pragmatists have brought, but also, as you mentioned, the infighting within the DA. The DA has been around now for a while, and I think people have looked at it and said, well, really, what has the DA delivered in the municipalities that it's had? Now, there's been some disadvantages. They have been coalition uh, governance mechanisms. But so I'm, I'm not convinced that the DA is, is on this uh, steady rise. They may have plateaued. And uh, the EFF, I, I think they're going to gain seats. And I think if you, if you go back to the last uh, national election with uh, the seats, I think they had 25 seats in parliament out of 400, which is not a lot. Uh, 
Do you remember, was it 6% of the vote that they got back 6%, then? 6%, yes, that's correct. Yeah, so, but if you look at the uh, 2016 local elections, I think the uh, the EFF gained almost 8%. So a steady rise just in those tiers in the off elections. And now you come to the national elections and predominantly uh, the youth vote EFF as well. And those under the age of 30 are a large part of the voting population in South Africa. If you look at registered voters, the age group between I think 24 to 30 is about 60% registered voters now, and they're still doing a get out the registration vote process. So I think that could also uh, affect the EFF's rise. So if I had to look into the crystal ball, I'd say that the ANC will either stay the same, gain a few seats. I think the DA could stay the same or lose a few seats. And I would think the EFF will gain a few as well. I don't see them going much above 10%, but it's possible. So it's interesting, a couple of things you mentioned there uh, with the uh, arrival, who had been the deputy president, uh, Sir Ramaphosa as president, replacing Zuma. He, he went about trying to reassure investor confidence, foreign direct investment, to calm the markets down, and appears to achieve some degree of stability there uh, for South Africa's future. But a, a term that you mentioned that we heard almost hourly, those of us who follow South Africa closely or live there, we seldom hear anymore, although it's still present. That's the term state capture. I mean, that was that was every hourly news report you heard about state capture. Uh, there has been a movement by the state prosecutor to investigate a number of serious and well-known corruption cases. Do you think perhaps that's having an impact in, in helping the ANC's position? Uh, I think so for now, because uh, no one close to Ramaphosa or Ramaphosa's circle has been uh, implicated in a major scandal, which was the case with, with Zuma and his administration and his uh, business associates and family and others. And so it was constantly the narrative was Zuma himself. And so certainly within the ANC, there's still a lot of corruption cases. And, and with, you know, and any any government anywhere in the world, I'm not singling out South Africa. I mean, corruption happens, but in this case, the corruption is not solely targeted on an individual, which taints the entire uh, legitimacy of the presidency. So Ramaphosa doesn't have to deal with that right now, to the way Zuma did. It's perhaps one of the most interesting things on tap this time. It's likely to be a hotly contested battle for control of Hauteng, South Africa's wealthiest and most important province. The DA has strong support there, and the EFF did surprisingly well in 2014 municipal or 2016 municipal elections. One of the DA's strongest figures, uh, Sole Musamanga, just resigned as the mayor of Chwana. Ostensibly, he did that to run for the premiership of Hauteng, uh, that being equivalent to a governor for our American listening audience. Uh, this is a jewel for the DA if they could win that seat. Do you think the ANC is in genuine danger of losing Tang to the opposition? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I mean, as you, as you mentioned, Smang is, uh, is a strong candidate. And then the head of the ANC right now, Maimani, who uh, has roots in Tang as well. And uh, there's a lot of strength. Uh, the, the DA strength obviously is, is in the Western Cape, but I think it's getting stronger in Hauteng. And if you look at the fact that they're running the Swanee municipality as well, I, I think it's possible. I think the, that is one area where the uh, the DA could gain ground and they could seize control of, that, of, of the Hauteng province. All right. Well, what are we to make of the EFF? Clearly, there's a reservoir of pent-up frustration that some voters have turned into support for the EFF, which claims to be the voice of the economically disfranchised, disenfranchised, which you mentioned earlier. Um, how do you see this election going for the EFF? You talked about gaining a few seats, uh, but do you think they'll get a chance to get the majority in any of the provinces? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, they don't have that much support where they could gain a majority or take over a province. I think they could, you know, have more influence in parliament the more seats they gain. And if you look at the, you mentioned earlier, and I'm sure we'll discuss more of this uh, bill on expropriation. Ex 
appropriation of land without compensation that requires amendment to the Constitution, which requires 66% of parliamentary votes. The ANC doesn't have that right now. So in theory, they would have to have a coalition to get the 66, because I don't think they'll get 66, which I think would be 264 seats out of 400. So not likely they'll, they'll get that much of a gain in the next election. So the EFF does have a say, but to rule things outright and to be the dominant opposition party challenging the ANC, I don't see that at this time. But you know, it's it's all about populism with the EFF, and there seems to be a wave of populism uh, globally in a lot of countries, and it continues to gain ground, particularly with uh, you know a large section of population in South Africa that really hasn't seen the benefits in their mind uh, 20 plus years on from majority rule, and so they look to the EFF and they hear the EFF message, and it resonates. So you've addressed, or at least mentioned, the elephant that's in the room with us here, the, the topic of land expropriation. And as you mentioned, uh, we're, we're alluding to is that uh, land expropriation under the South Africa's constitution is legal, and it's possible, very similar to the concept of eminent domain in the United States. Yes. But the owners must be compensated, fair market value for their property, and the state must make a case for why they have to take that land. Uh, in an interesting uh, turnabout, uh, the African National Congress last year seemed to flip its position 180 degrees. In previous years, smaller parties had introduced bills uh, on occasion to do expropriation without compensation. And on every instance in the past, the African National Congress had roundly voted against it and the measure had died. Yet last year, as the EFF rose in popularity and this, this, this populism and expropriation argument and nationalization of the mines that they've been talking about, the ANC seemed to flip completely around. Well, they did flip completely around on this issue and, and voted to pursue this matter. So the question on land expropriation, which is land, of course, is a very complicated topic in South Africa, which we could spend days having a podcast on that. But do you think that this expropriation without compensation topic is going to play prominently in this election, and how will it play out? Well, it'll certainly play prominently in the election because it's it, really at the root of it, it's, it's political. And so the ANC was almost forced into taking this position based on the internal divisions with their party from both the Jalamini Zuma camp and Ramaphosa and where they stood and all the rhetoric from the EFF on land. So land is a political issue in South Africa, absolutely. And as the election gets closer in May, this is going to come more to the forefront. So to say that the ANC did a 180 degree degree turn on it, I would offer maybe they did a 120 degree turn. And <laughs> and that's because the devil's in the details. So if you really read the uh, draft legislation that they're proposing to uh, to go to parliament to change the constitution, there's conditions on what types of land can be appropriated, expropriated without compensation. And it's fairly limited. So this idea that uh, property rights in general is will be violated and that there's a threat to the private sector and investment, I don't think the threat is as high as what people perceive just when they hear that term, expropriation without compensation. Mm -hmm. And there's legal recourse to it. Like I said, there's conditions on which type land can be taken, and there's a whole process that they have to go through. So this idea that you're going to see uh, shades of Zimbabwe circa 2000, 2001, I don't think it's going to go there. I think there's a good chance that this could pass eventually, and I think they could change the Constitution. But does that mean there'll be a radical land grab and and and, uh, and changing of the way lands distribute across the country wholesale? No, I don't think so. I, I think, too, the institutions are much stronger in South Africa than they were in Zimbabwe. Uh, the rule of law is still very strong and sound in South Africa. There's an independent judiciary, and, and, and things generally work. And so it's a very politically charged. 
but I don't think the the sky's falling and you're going to see a fleeing of investment or a lack of investment going in because of this fear and that it's going to be a fundamental change in the way uh, land has been dealt with in the past. Well, it's an interesting point that you make. Uh, there's not much effort on the part of many public figures in South Africa to make that distinction about the provisos and the 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 narrow part of land that would be available for expropriation. It's, it's, it would seem that a lot of politicians uh, are, are either attacking the expropriation bill from a populist perspective or allowing people to believe what they want about it because it serves their needs. Is that a fair assessment? Or I think it is fair. And I, I think that's the case with a lot of these political issues is you have to present it in a way that the voting populace can digest in a way that's going to support your position when they go to the polls. And so, but to be fair, I mean, the media in South Africa, I think, has done a pretty fair job of laying out what, what's in the proposed change in the way it would come about. So the, the voters can educate themselves and, and it's available. So things aren't being hidden. But as far as a political message, certainly it's going to be the very simplest form. There's going to be bumper stickers and they're going to play to their constituency and what they want to hear, depending on what side of the uh, divide they're talking to. Well, we're not that far away with elections taking place sometime in May, waiting for the date to be established yet, but not too far down the road. Whatever the election results, one has to look back in all at the success of South Africa's electoral process and results since the end of apartheid. We've had five national elections that are well-run, open, transparent, and a fine example for the rest of the continent and much of the world for that matter. Do you see any challenges ahead for the Electoral Commission of South Africa in this election? You know, I don't know. I, like I said before, the, the institutions are strong in South Africa and the democracy is strong. And they certainly have their challenges, but we have to remember it's a young democracy and they're still growing. I mean, they've been around since 1994. So our democracy has been evolving over time, you know, for over 200 years and we still don't get it completely right. And that's not to say I want to compare our model to South Africans because every model is different. But I'm not sure that they're going to have, if you say challenges to the Electoral Commission, not like what you see in some other African countries. So people are trying to draw parallels to maybe recent elections in the DRC or other countries where you've had these issues, maybe even in Kenya with some of the challenges they've had in other countries. No. I mean, again, now we're talking our crystal ball that you started the conversation with, but I don't think so. I, I, I have faith in, in the South African institutions and in their young democracy, and there's growing pains. And unfortunately, sometimes these growing pains are, are real economic hardships in the population as, as change maybe doesn't happen as quickly as it could. And there's unrealized expectations and, and, and people expect more in a shorter period of time, but it's, it's moving forward. And, and, so I'm, I'm confident. I'm optimistic. Well, you did touch on something that's something that folks really need to grasp here. We are talking about a very young democracy. It's just 25 years in the making at this point. And arguably, they've made remarkable progress and remarkable stability. You talk about the strength of the institutions in South Africa, the ones inherited and the ones built upon and established since the ANC's taken over. Strong points for South Africa. So with that in mind, Dan, I'd like to thank you once again for joining us in the War Room podcast. Uh, thank you kindly for your insights and views. And I think we'll all be looking forward to the campaign season about to get underway in South Africa and anxiously await, anxiously await the election results. That's yeah, been a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me in. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.